Welcome to Carmelite Conversations. This is Francis Harry, and we have Deacon Baldwin, who has started a series with us, and I'm happy to share with you his um, homily entitled, The Well-Ordered Life. I think that there is um, a lot to be pondered from the words he shares with us, and um, I'm really grateful that yeah, he's sharing these talks with us, and um, we'd love to hear back from you. Um, and without any further ado, I present to you the secular discast Carmelite, Deacon Rusty Baldwin. It's easy to fall into a routine, isn't it? Often, we even welcome it. It's comfortable and predictable. We get into a rhythm and one day passes into another. It's the second Sunday, so we go to our Carmelite community meeting. We pray and spend time with the Lord. We spend time with family and friends. Things happen here and there, but we handle it in due course. Now, I'm not casting this situation in a negative light per se. Rather, this is what our Holy Mother would call a well-ordered life. It's a good thing, even a very good thing. But life is a journey in which we are to progress, mature, and advance in many ways, the most important of which is through a deepening of our relationship with the Lord. In that aspect of life, we can never be satisfied with routine and predictability. And so, every year, Holy Mother Church, in her wisdom, gives us the gift of Lent, whereby we follow our Lord's footsteps in a deeper way. We accompany him on his journey of love, and as he makes his way to the ultimate sacrifice of Calvary, we walk with him. By this, the routine of our well-ordered life gets interrupted, gets mixed up a bit. And this too is a good thing, even a most excellent thing. Now, St. Teresa gives us some counsel and insight on this well-ordered life. So, before continuing, let's review what she considers its chief characteristics. A Christian who lives a well-ordered life practices the virtues, endeavors to advance in them. They take the precepts of the church seriously, attending Mass on Sundays and holy days of obligation, going to confession, tithing, praying, and the like. They raise their children in the faith and fulfill their obligations to family, neighbor, and work. Theirs is a life that, insofar as they are able, is disciplined and structured. Again, this is not bad, rather it is good. Would that all Catholics were so diligent, right? But because in fact we are mere wayfarers on earth, because our true journey is to our eternal home, St. Teresa also cautions us that this well-ordered life is not our goal. Our progress towards sanctity doesn't end there by a long shot. Indeed, while our Holy Mother praises many aspects of a well-ordered life, she also identifies shortcomings and imperfections that are typically present in the same. The first of which is such persons are overly disturbed by minor trials. Perhaps that's because what once was so well-ordered is no longer so when trials come. Now, on the face of it, this sounds like a quite reasonable and measured criticism, an area we all likely need to improve in. It seems quite reasonable until St. Teresa tells us what she considers a minor trial to be. Her examples include the complete loss of one's wealth, or the loss of one's reputation. Trials not unlike, I suppose, those of Job. You know, minor ones. 
suddenly it doesn't sound quite so measured and reasonable anymore, does it? But that leads us to the second part of her critique of a well-ordered life. Namely, that people in this stage often suppose they have figured everything out. That they have an illusion of self-sufficiency, that they're in control. And that our God-given reason is a sure guide for the whole of Christian life. But God intended that reason should serve us, not the other way around. Does that sound familiar? Jesus said the same thing to the Pharisees about the Sabbath and for the same reason. For if used improperly, reason can become a means by which we put a boundary around love, a means by which we limit faith. Let me pose this question to you. Is our Lord's love for us reasonable? Is it? It most assuredly is not. Is it reasonable to leave 99 sheep to look for one? To find a lost coin and then spend more money celebrating that you found it than the coin itself is worth? To sell all that you have for a single pearl? Is it reasonable To love someone who spits in your face, who scourges you, who mocks you, plots against you, crucifies you like they did to our Lord? Is it reasonable to love one who persecutes you, saying all manner of evil against you? It's not reasonable. Not according to mere human wisdom anyway. And yet, our Lord assures us that we are blessed when such things happen to us. It seems clear that our Lord wants us to move beyond mere human wisdom, beyond the reasonable and the rational, to a place where, according to our Holy Mother, love overwhelms reason. Love overwhelming reason. That is where our Lord wants us, where love overwhelms reason. An interesting way of putting it, don't you think? Love overwhelming reason. I think the following question is one each one of us should take to prayer and contemplate. In my life, Does love overwhelm reason, or does reason overwhelm love? The key to being able to answer the former, to answering the way our Lord desires, is humility. It's only when we walk the road of humility and meekness, it's only when we humbly rely on his grace that our Lord so generously gives us It's only then that we can journey beyond having merely a well-ordered life to a place where our Lord can fashion for us a well-ordered soul as well. A soul that loves God and neighbor beyond all reason. A soul that is ordered according to love.
point being that those who find themselves in these difficult situations have an additional source that they can draw on, the, the only source, and those who want to participate in the ministry will have an additional means to find strength uh, and uh, uh, camaraderie even with those who are working in this ministry day in and day out. Now there's another critical component, Michael, that you have a vision for, uh, that somebody's going to be responsible for making happen, uh, and that is to make uh, the Blessed Sacrament available 24 by 7 uh, in the form of adoration. Uh, we could go over a number of uh, admonitions from, um, from our church about uh, making uh, that uh, sort of prayer opportunity available. There's no need to. It's clear uh, the Holy Fathers, uh, the last three, of course, have been uh, adamant supporters of, of the availability of adoration. But talk to us a little bit about your vision for um, something in the Dayton area that, quite frankly, does not exist today. Not, not uh, uh, anywhere that I'm familiar with within 25 miles of us. Well, and I would say that you know, e even someone who's not familiar with our faith tradition or who might not recognize the real presence of the Eucharist um, sees great value in the, the spiritual calm that comes from just being still and accompanying um, each other. And, and as we would invite them to focus on our Lord um, in, in this way, and as we witness to them um, how much peace it brings us to to do that, um, that that's a that's a, a foot in the door, is it not, uh, for them to uh, enter the, the the richness of contemplation in the real presence, and and as you alluded to, the the, the power of that is 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 but a glimpse to someone who has not experienced that before who might witness it for the first time but certainly if we were to keep that up um, then uh, it, it it will be noticed and it will be noticed by the guests who are here themselves 24 7 uh, for the time that they need to be here and and also i think quite powerfully um, introduce a broader segment of our catholic community to the ministry that we have here and um, the importance of the invitation to them to participate in the in the way that they would like to um, uh, beginning with adoration and perhaps moving on to, to even more involvement with our ministries yeah and it's uh, uh, there are a couple of initiatives Michael and I just briefly uh, chatted about on the break that we have in mind for getting people especially in the conferences and uh, again, for those who are not familiar with the structure, you can uh, understand by conferences, either parishes or, uh, as we mentioned, a university. Um, uh, there's a particular immigrant conference that, that uh, helps uh, that community. Uh, but uh, getting those conferences more uh, ingrained, uh, integrated into the prayer, part of the spirituality of the society, for this simple reason. Uh, those of us who've been in ministry of any kind for some number of years have come to recognize we are not the centerpiece of the work. We are not uh, the, uh, the ones who are making all of this happen. It is the Holy Spirit who's bringing about the change that we see, bringing about the provision um, that we rely on and that uh, the people that we serve rely on. And so we want to put the focus back on the center and where it needs to reside, and that's where... Uh, the Holy Spirit rests and where the Holy Spirit is both guiding, directing, and making possible everything that we do. Um, I would also say that even for those who may not have an immediate opportunity, though we hope ultimately many will, certainly we're talking to the Miami Valley now, the Dayton area, uh, we hope that many people will be interested in supporting 24 by 7. I know I can speak uh, very um, deliberately to uh, this issue of a desire for many, many years on the part of many in this area to have availability for 24 by 7 adoration. Here I would say it's even more powerful. We're not just giving the opportunity for uh, adoration and, and the opportunity to come and spend time and worship our Lord, but we're doing so in the context of a ministry that even our Lord said uh, was arguably among the most important things that we could do and that's serving the poor in our society. The poor we will always have with us, these treasures of the church will be with us until the Lord returns. And now we're being invited through this uh, um, 
initiative of 24 by 7 adoration uh, to serve that community and worship our Lord uh, all in the same time. So we're very excited about it. Uh, certainly those in the Dayton area will begin to hear more about it. I've already reached out to a number of people uh, to at least begin uh, to uh, uh, make that available. And we hope if there are people in other parts of the country that are hearing this message today, whether they're involved in the St. Vincent de Paul Society or not, that you might be gaining some interest in seeking out that society in your area and thinking too about how you begin to engender a deeper appreciation for the spirituality of the society. And that of course, Michael, stems all the way back to our, uh, our patron, St. Vincent himself, St. Vincent de Paul. And so I want to talk a little bit about his spirituality. Now, we should just say briefly, in fact, if you don't mind, I'll let you do the just the brief uh, you know, elevator speech history, because many people associate the society's founding itself with St. Vincent. Of course, that's not the case. It was founded uh, quite a number of years later, 200 some odd years later, in fact. Uh, but I'll let you do that brief history before we go into St. Vincent's. Well, and isn't it interesting that here we are talking about the founding of the society nearly 200 years ago, and when it was founded, it was uh, with reference to a, a saint another 200 years before that. So yeah. uh, it is, you know, initially I think of um, how the, the stories of saints throughout the ages have inspired uh, generations to uh, continue those paths of holiness in a very particular way. So um, basically, um, Blessed Frederick Ozanam is, is credited as being the leader um, of a group of uh, young men who were college students uh, who, with the help of their mentor, Emmanuel Bailly, um, who, who grouped together to form what became the Society of St. Vincent de Paul. And essentially what happened was um, in, their, in their studies, they were challenged by um, folks who said, well, you, you Catholics talk a good game about serving the poor, but what are you really doing to serve the poor? And so um, they took that to heart, and uh, they approached um, some, some particular Daughters of Charity, who again are part of the, the Vincentian family that trace their history back to St. Vincent himself, uh, to learn how to accompany the poor learn how to, to accompany individuals in need. And so, um, uh, as I mentioned, the, the, the society was formed as a, as a Catholic lay apostolate and um, has continued in that um, mode. Um, we, we also have uh, uh, governance rules in effect that essentially keep clergy from leadership roles uh, in order for us to maintain that, that lay character and, and how we operate. And Ozanam himself, being a lay person, he was actually a lawyer schooling at the Sorbonne. Um, around 1833, if I have right. my dates correct, right. is, is their actual founding. Um, and you know, it, you, you reminded me of an important point that I wanted to uh, include in the ministries, because I don't think we touched on it specifically, and that's the home visit, which is really the centerpiece of the ministry, isn't it? It's Absolutely. not just sort of, hey, you, the poor, come to us and we'll provision. Talk, talk about that part of it, because that's so, so key to both St. Vincent's own spirituality, but to Ozanam's founding of the, of the society. Well, and even our secular friends um, who, who we work with to this day recognize that apart from the religious character of our work, uh, they note that we're the only ones who do home visits. So um, we, we are not what we call a service counter type of human service. Um, we are a ministry. We're a two-by-two uh, ministry where we focus on going to people where they are, quite literally in their homes. And it's been that way since the beginning. That's what the Daughters of Charity uh, taught Frederick and his companions um, on, on how to be present to people, how to minister to them, how to be in authentic relationship with them. Um, and I think this is another aspect that um, gets skipped over quite a bit when we talk about poverty. Um, one, one piece of poverty that we all want is spiritual poverty. And uh, we practice that, we attain that um, in, in large measure through um, our intentional relationships um, that reach out to, again, create authentic uh, two-way real relationships, not dispensing our excesses to people that we perceive have material needs, but to enter into a true uh, relationship with them 
that has all the friction and tension of any of our relationships. And the idea that, um, that we are engaging people uh, from whom uh, there is objectively no ulterior motive for us to, to gain for ourselves other than our own salvation and theirs. Well, you bring up an important point. I'm actually going to skip past the virtues that St. Vincent, we may come back to them, but because you leapt to that, I want to, I want to capitalize on that and um, just point out that the, um, one of the central uh, themes, of course, is poverty. And for St. Vincent, there were four critical vows uh, that he asked his original uh, society, not societies, but his um, uh, the, the missions and the uh, daughters of the um, uh, daughters of charity. He asked them uh, to adopt these vows. One of them was, in fact, poverty. And, and he said, um, if I can find his own words here, uh, essentially he would not uh, want any one of these foundations uh, to be formed without themselves adopting an event evangelization of the poor founded on poverty that we practice ourselves. And so uh, to the degree that we understand this idea of, uh, of spiritual poverty, uh, St. Vincent was key on his own um, uh, members practicing that idea of poverty. And it may have been material poverty. In many ways, of course, it was for those who were ordained. But uh, even from a spiritual standpoint, he, it, it wasn't, as you said, you know, we, we give of our excess and, and that which we have left. We can think about the woman in the gospel, of course, that Christ uh, points out to giving the, the, the last of her uh, resources. But um, here, St. Vincent was key on the members themselves practicing what it is they were uh, seeking to serve, and that's uh, the poor and, and therefore practicing poverty. It's a key component of it. Well, I want to drop back to the virtues because uh, these are also key to understanding the spirituality. And again, as Michael and I have been discussing, it's the spirituality um, that we want to make sure that we, I, I wouldn't say uh, as much recapture, but invigorate uh, and make sure that everybody who's participating in the ministry and those who are served by the ministry are drawing the fruit of the spirituality that is inherent in the uh, St. Vincent de Paul Society. So the first of those virtues, Michael, is simplicity. You want to speak about simplicity a little bit in the way that St. Vincent uh, uh, communicated it? Well, you know, simplicity is something that um, um, we, we struggle with in, in so much of our society today. I, I, don't, I, I confess I don't know what it was like um, for him in, in his day, but, but I can say that... Um, you know, one of the things that helps us in our own spiritual growth is when we witness people who come to us at the shelters, for example, who, who really have nothing other than the clothes on their back and um, who have um, may, maybe some very complicated um, personal circumstances. But many of them that I've encountered have a certain um, simple, kind way where they have um, uh, embraced um, a love that is palpable. And um, that is something that is very attractive to many of the people who come uh, to work here, is that um, the, the, not everyone who comes here is in misery. Sometimes there's a quiet joy about them, and it is in their simplicity. It is in their letting go. It is in their not being attached to... Uh, too many worldly things, and um, you know, many of them um, frustrate us perhaps because we sense that they don't have a, a spirit of personal enterprise uh, or personal responsibility. Um, but simplicity is something that's in our face every day. Now, we we of course are are yearning for that virtue in uh, in a sea of complicated, uh, uh, unsimple uh, ways of the world and what we're surrounded with. But um, I'd have to say that uh, one of the things that, that uh, makes me excited about this ministry every day is that I can walk 100 feet from my office and encounter someone who has the simple joy about them, even given all the circumstances that surround their lives. Um, and that's a powerful witness. 
You know, one of the things that I was thinking about with regard to simplicity, and I, I read some of the material from St. Vincent's history on him and how he implemented and, and chose the particular virtues he wanted to focus on. But the modern term that comes to mind is subsidiarity. This idea that let's put the responsibility for getting something done at the lowest, most effective level within the organization. I see that in the way you run the organization, Michael. You know, all of us come in contact with the poor. I saw you counseling a young man the other day, actually a volunteer in one of the facilities that we were touring. So you yourself get directly involved in the ministry. It's not like you sit in a corner office and direct yeah. other activities people's activities, but you, and, and it seems to be uh, a pervasive throughout the organization, people want to be involved in the ministry. They want, to, they want to touch the hands of the poor. They want to actually be at that lowest level. I don't mean lowest in, in, in a demeaning way, but at the level that comes in contact with the poor themselves. And right. I think that's also part of that. Well, and, and plus how we position ourselves um, in that we are we are known in the community as the absolute backstop. We are the ones who affirm uh, every individual's humanity. Uh, when when all their other networks fail, when their when their family network fails, their employment fails, their shelter fails, their food security fails, um, you know we we are known to be the ones that anyone can come to. We don't have barriers. We don't have the complications of. Uh, you know the um, conditions that are placed on um, on on loving others. That's what we're here for, and and again, we're we're known throughout the community for that. Well, one other um, virtue I just want to touch on quickly: the the uh, interim ones. We would all recognize humility, um, uh, meekness. Of course, in this environment, that's a, a virtue we would rely on uh, every day. But also, interestingly, zeal. Zeal for the work. Say, say just a few words about that, if you would. Yeah, that, gosh, zeal is an interesting thing because, of course, um, uh, it's used a couple of ways, isn't it? It's, it well, on the one hand, it's, it's uh, used to describe passion. On the other hand, it's used to describe zealots <laughs> that, <laughs> that, uh, that, that chase down their own designs on, on folks. But, but I, you know, I, I have to say that... Um, there's an energy around our ministry that really uh, is the fuel, that really powers us to engage every day. And I see it in, in our volunteers and our employees, and, and I can only describe it as something that um, it, it is really the fire of the Holy Spirit. I mean, it, there, there's no uh, objective reason why we should be uh, super excited about... Um, uh, being in the middle of misery, right? But uh, there, there is this very palpable energy that anyone feels when they come in to our work, um, uh, where they notice that that we we're just energized. And and my own explanation for it is the Holy Spirit. It has a way of drawing you in. I've witnessed uh, just in my short tenure here, uh, people that, and I don't mean to scare anybody away from the ministry, but I think it's representative of what you just said. People who willingly work 50 and 60 hours a week, you know, to support this ministry. Um, and they don't do it as drudgery. You know, I asked one woman, in fact, uh, uh, regarding the length of stay she had in one particular day. And she looked at me and said, well, uh, I said something about going home. She said, well, the people in the shelter don't get to go home. So, you know, it was, it was a passion and it was palpable and uh, it was clear that it came from the heart. So very, very uh, encouraging and and. Uh, it's really something to, to hold, to, to, to behold. And you do see the face of Christ in these people. And it, it makes you want to uh, be transformed and help transform their lives. You know, closing in uh, our Carmelite fashion, I just want to quote the, the words of St. Therese of Lisieux, uh, arguably the, uh, the most popular saint of the 20th century, certainly a well-known Carmelite. She said, There is no joy like that known by the truly poor in spirit. And if I can, Michael, I want to thank you very much for taking this time to be in conversation with us today. It's been a revelation, I'm sure, to many of our listeners. I do want to encourage and invite everybody who's listening. Uh, if you know of the St. Vincent de Paul Society in your area, certainly if you're in the Dayton area, um, you know, take an opportunity to look a little deeper into us and see if there isn't an opportunity for you to get involved, to volunteer in some way. And what I want to promise you is that you'll capture the zeal that Michael talked about and you will find yourself transformed by participation in the ministry itself. 
and you will see the face of Christ in those you serve. And in that spirit, let us pray for the poor and the needy in our society. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Lord God, you came to give honor to the least, those forgotten, overlooked, and misjudged. You came to give first place to the last, those left behind, misunderstood and undervalued. You came to give a warm welcome to the lost, those who are orphaned, abandoned, and destitute. Help us to be your ears to listen to their cries. Help us to be your voice speaking out of love and acceptance. Help us to be your feet walking beside those in need. Help us to be your hands to clothe, feed, and shelter them. You came for the least, the lost, and the last of this world. Lord, hear our prayer. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. A reminder, you've been listening to Carmelite Conversations on Radio Maria, a Christian voice in your home until we're with you again next week. God bless.